0: Good morning everyone. Worship was wonderful this morning. We're so glad that you're here uh, at the Life Church. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. good. Glad to have you all here. Well, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jack and I am the young adults pastor here at the Life Church. We are happy this morning to also have our campus pastors, uh, Pastor Lane and Becca, back with us. They were on vacation last week, so hopefully they are fully rested and ready to jump back into things. Um, And I want to thank them also this morning for the opportunity to bring a word and to preach uh, this morning. I'm excited. So my sermon today is called, What in Salvation?, This phrase came to my mind as I was preparing this message and I thought it was kind of funny um, based on the phrase that some of us have heard in the cartoon from Yosemite Sam uh, where he says, what in tarnation? And that's actually where I would have thought this came from, but of course I did a little research on that. And uh, what in tarnation dates back to the 1700s. Tarnation was a replacement word for darnation, so as to be less offensive, of course. However, tarnation was actually a word influenced by the word tarnal, which was slang for the word eternal. And in this case, eternal being a noun used for God. So what's funny about that is that's the phrase I got in my head, and what the phrase actually means is, what an eternal, or what an eternity, Except I'm using, what in salvation? So it's kind of similar, but not completely. Um, Ironic, probably not. God doesn't really do irony. He has a lot of purpose in everything. So also in this question, what in salvation, we can ask, what's in it for us? Or what's the point? Or what's in salvation for me? I loved, if you were here last week, Pastor Wald, our senior pastor, preached, and he was talking about how before he was saved, he would see billboards that said, Jesus saves, and he'd go, Jesus saves what? And I thought that was a perfect illustration of why we really, in the church, need to understand salvation a little bit better, whether you're saved or not, Um, not just for our own sakes, but so that we can communicate it a little bit better uh, to the world. So my first question to answer with you today is, what is salvation? Of course, I looked up the definition because that's the best place to start. Salvation is a means of preserving or saving of something, or a deliverance or rescue, a saving from harm or destruction. Some synonyms, I was worried I was going to mess that word up. Some synonyms or similar words that come up for salvation are conservation or a lifeline. So I think back to sermons that I've heard in the past about salvation, where pastors would have a prop on stage of a life preserver, talking about saving somebody who's fallen off of a boat or their boat has crashed. Um, And to me, this life preserver is just the perfect visualization of salvation, of being saved. So I thought I'd steal it, obviously. Some antonyms or opposite words, which, by the way, learned this word from our oldest daughter, Lily, last week. Um, She is good at using big words that she learns at school. And so she retaught this word to me last week. So I'm going to use her fancy word. The antonyms for salvation are downfall and destruction. I don't know about you, but if I had to pick salvation over destruction and downfall, you better bet I'm going to take the life preserver. Or would I? You know, it's common for us to talk about the Israelites, God's original chosen people, uh, in a negative connotation. It's easy to make fun of them and look down on them because they did a lot of really dumb things. But it's also really easy for us to connect to the Israelites for those same really dumb things that they did because a lot of times we make some similar decisions. In the book of Exodus in the Bible, God uses Moses to lead the Israelites out of their slavery in Egypt. As they get out into the wilderness to travel to the land God has promised them, they complain about not having the things they used to have, like better food and water on a regular basis. All things that make sense, right? They begin to say they'd rather go back to slavery in Egypt then die out in the wilderness. What's happened is they've lost their trust in the God who caused plagues and diseases on the Egyptians to help them escape. They've lost their trust in the God who parted the Red Sea, allowed them to walk through, get to the other side, and closed the sea back up over the same Egyptians so that they could escape forever. They've lost their trust. And after all of this, they think God is going to let them die of thirst and salvation. And in hindsight, it's kind of hilarious. Even more so, these complaints and fears come after a song of deliverance. Again, another word for salvation that they sang to God after getting through the Red Sea. The song of deliverance is found in Exodus 15, 13, says, With your unfailing love, you led the people you have redeemed. In your might, you guide them to your sacred home. They were excited about what God had just done for them, and then how quickly they forgot. They knew what God was capable of, and yet they didn't trust him to do the next big thing they needed saving from. They didn't trust God to save them from their next point of assumed destruction. It seemed as though they'd regretted taking a hold of that salvation and the life preserver that God had brought to them. We hear stories in the Bible where a life preserver is offered and isn't taken out of, again, doubting God's plan and God's path. That same set of Israelites, they've gone Through the Red Sea, they've escaped, and now they've come toward the promised land, and they send spies to go into the promised land to check it out. And 10 out of the 12 spies, if I'm getting that number correct, if I'm not, just don't worry about it. The number's not important. But majority of the spies that come back, come back in fear and trembling. They're worried because they're assuming they're going to get killed if they do God's plan. And that is actually what caused them to get stuck in the wilderness for 40 more years, was doubting God's plan. Have you ever questioned God's plan for your life? You can tell he's moving you towards something else. Maybe it's another job. Maybe he actually wants you to physically move to another city or break off a relationship. And you doubt because you're just not sure how it's actually going to turn out. The life preserver's there, but you're not sure you actually wanna take a hold of it. What if it's not better, you think? I can just hang on a little bit longer. I'll be fine, right? So some of you have realized that I love birthdays. Nobody get nervous, none of you are in this room that have a birthday that I know of. If you do, you can tell me later and I'll announce it. But apparently I love announcing my family's birthdays from the stage. Today would have been my papa's birthday. I don't know how old he would have been, but again, numbers don't matter. So he was the first Pastor Jack. His name was Jack Bridges. First Pastor Jack in my family that I'm aware of, actually. Um, They called him Brother Jack. His wife was named Jacqueline. This is who I was named after. These are my mother's parents. They went by Jack and Jackie. Jackie passed away when I was four, and my grandfather remarried to Linda, who is now my only living grandparent, who I adore. Papa had a brother named Jerry Bridges, who we call Uncle Jerry because he's my great uncle. I promise this is going somewhere. (laughs) Uncle Jerry was also in ministry, he did speaking engagements around the world, he was a well known author. And both Brother Jack and Uncle Jerry have gone on to be with the Lord now, but I've been reading one of my Uncle Jerry's books. Now that I like reading, I decided I should read my family's books that they've written. And there's a lot of them. This is where I've started. This one is called The Gospel for Real Life. And I want to share with you some of his thoughts on salvation. One of those thoughts is in regards to why we need salvation, which is the next question I want to address. So Uncle Jerry talks about the original sin in the garden with Adam and Eve, and he mentions that um, as Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, they were actually morally perfect. This made them completely sinless, and thus they did not need moral restrictions placed on them. However, when told not to eat from the one tree, this would have taken a simple act of obedience. Uncle Jerry says, an easier test of Adam and Eve is difficult to imagine. In other words, it doesn't get much easier than being given hundreds of trees over here. You all eat whatever you want, but just don't eat that one. No big deal. Just, it's just the one, right? And we don't actually know how many trees were there, uh, how many plants, how many fruits and vegetables they had access to, but it was the Garden of Eden created by God. I would imagine there's quite a bit. So just the one little tree to stay away from should have been pretty easy, right? Simple obedience, Uncle Jerry called it. He goes on in another chapter to say that it is understanding the imperfection of our obedience that drives us to our dependence on God's salvation through Christ. As we understand that like Adam and Eve now living in a sinful world, once sin has been introduced, our obedience to anything has never been perfect, Since then, our obedience to our parents, maybe our obedience to our bosses, maybe our obedience to road signs or how you build your Ikea furniture, whatever it is you struggle with, but especially our obedience to God will never be perfect. We need salvation because we have struggles with obedience, which leads to sin, which leads to more struggles. So life is hard. And when we don't know which way is up from down, or as one of my coworkers says, when you're holding that straw, you're trying to get it above water, you just keep holding and stretching and stretching, trying to get more air. When that is what we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, we look for something or someone to save us. We're looking for a way out, an easier path, the right answers to our questions, guidance to the perfect life, someone to help us make decisions I don't know about your house but at our house the decision of what to have for dinner at night is very difficult and Dusty and I both wish somebody else would just tell us what to do but all these decisions big or small they get difficult or maybe for you it's you just wish someone would take the reins of this life altogether because you're just too tired to keep your eyes on the road this is where I feel like we should all break down and sing Jesus take the wheel. But again, we can wait till after service. It's fine. So now let's talk about why do we desire salvation? Deep down, we were built to desire a savior. We were created in God's image, and we long for that perfect image to be restored, to bring us peace, an easier life, to bring relief. We long for something or someone to save us. We all desire that relationship that uh, with God, that with him does bring salvation. Unlike our earthly our, our earthly relationships, that's hard to say, which in a season can make you feel like you've been saved from something and sometimes it has. But then in other seasons can bring hurt or disappointment. And it causes confusion where our salvation and our relationship with God doesn't bring confusion. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ brings us the salvation that we all desire deep down in our spirit that we don't even realize needs to be fulfilled. It's hard for us to understand that even in our continuing sense of our imperfect obedience that God would save us that God has saved us if we have taken hold of that life preserver. Often, instead of coming to God for a saving of anything, we go to something or someone else. We numb out with more work, more time away from the family, more shopping, coping mechanisms like pills and alcohol, or other humans to be around that maybe think they'll love me through it they'll help me feel saved. I know because I've done all of this and none of it got me more peace, a better life worth living, security or fulfillment of my salvation. Even in my salvation since the time I was saved through Christ as a little girl. If you're like me, I can be flooded of thoughts often of I can't get this right. Why would, why would God save me? Why does he think I'm worthy of this? As rebellious as I used to be, as angry as I got with my family yesterday, fill in the blank of whatever it is you struggle with, what makes God think I'm worth saving? So one of the things that I often tell God is, God, I'm not good at being human. I'm so sorry. And I, I just feel like I'm not good at this. I'm not doing a good job. I've got, there's got to be a better way. I'm not good at being human. But recently, I realized the flaw to this cry out to God. First of all, no one has been good at being human since Adam and Eve except for Jesus. So when I'm not moping around in my flaws, I can actually slow down to realize I'm not the only one that's really awful at this. We all are. So thank you for joining in with me on being awful at being human. But we're all doing it together, and we're all working to be better at it, right? This is why we stick together. The other thing is, as I've been learning that our words over ourselves are so, so powerful, I've realized that I'm not allowed to say this about myself anymore. That's a decision that I made actually not that long ago, to be, long, to be honest with you. I'm not allowed to say to myself that I'm not a, a good human or that I don't do a good job at it. Because again, God isn't expecting me to be the most perfect human on earth. I don't get to win that race. I can try. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12 and 1 Corinthians 9 that we have a race to to run, and we're to run the very best that we can, but not by ourselves. Only by keeping our sights on Jesus, he's the only one that can help us to run our race. One of the ways the enemy attacks me when I feel like I'm not doing good at being human is by causing me to doubt my salvation altogether. Does that ever happen to any of y'all? Maybe it's just me. So this is when it is good to understand our next question. Where does our salvation come from? So in 2019, Dusty and I went to a Christian conference. We were standing outside um, in line to get food at a food truck, and there were people shouting at all of us conference growers. Now one thing you need to know about me um, is that on occasion, I decide that it is my responsibility to explain something to someone um, that they're wrong about, that they're obviously wrong about, that I feel like they should be aware. So I can get a boldness about me that makes Dusty very nervous for me to talk to strangers. Um, now, don't worry. God has been dealing with me on this, and I am maturing, so we'll get there. Um, so, Dusty and I are sitting on the curb waiting for our food by the food truck, and I tell Dusty, I'll be right back. And he looks like he's seen a ghost because he knows where I'm headed. So, I start talking to one of these guys that's been yelling, and I'm trying to understand why, and it turned out he seemed to think that we were not. Fully saved, whatever that meant. Apparently, that's why they were yelling to get to get our attention. This was very important to them. So, to preface, I had just started truly reading my Bible about a year and a half before that. I know this because I started the One Year Bible in January of 2018, and this was August of 2019 a year and a half later. They should actually rename the one-year Bible to the two-and-a-half-year Bible, because that's how long it took me to read it. But again, we're not concerned about numbers, so it's fine. So I was about, I don't know, halfway through the Bible a year and a half in, and I was on fire for Jesus. So once I understood this man's issue, I realized I was fighting for my salvation, So he and I went back and forth for a few minutes. I would tell him something I was pretty sure I had read in the Bible recently, and he would continue to tell me why he thought I wasn't fully saved. Then he brought over backup. I could tell I was making him nervous, and I was sure I was winning. Another guy starts showing me scripture as to why he thinks I'm wrong, I'm telling him more scriptures and stories that I was pretty sure, again, that I'd heard in the Bible. And I'd say, write this down and look this up. And so he would. And we were all getting confused, and, but it was fine. And after about maybe 15 minutes, Dusty walks toward me with our food, and I knew that was my cue. And so I told these guys, you know what? We're going to have to agree to disagree. You're not changing my mind, and I'm not changing yours. I'll continue to pray for you. You'll probably continue to pray for me. We'll go about our merry way. So, Dusty and I go back up to the arena to eat our lunch. Everything's fine. I'm telling him about the conversations. We get inside to worship, and it hits me. And I think, what if they're right? What if I'm wrong? What if I'm not saved? What if my whole life has been a lie and I'm not going to heaven after all? At this point, I didn't know who I was anymore in the middle of this Christian conference. I wasn't sure if I was mad at myself for trying to be so bold and set these people straight or if I had done the right thing and God had put me in the right place so I'd finally get it. It took a major discussion with Dusty, a lot of prayer, a lot of phone calls to my mentors and my parents to help me realize what was wrong with the whole picture and why God had allowed this. And it was not so I would understand that I was wrong about my salvation. It was so I would re-ask the question, why do I know that I'm saved? Why do I believe that I'm saved? In hindsight, unbeknownst to me, I was getting ready to be called into ministry. And the Lord knew that I needed to have this down. I needed to understand why this was what it was and what the Bible truly says about this. Going back to Uncle Jerry's book, he says, Don't ask, do I have faith? Ask, rather, do I believe the promises of God? Our assurance of eternal life begins with believing the promises of God, he says. So what are the promises of God? Where do we find these? What is it that we fall back on when we begin to doubt our salvation or decide if we really want it after all? Before I give you these promises, I want to tell you a few things first. Salvation is such a grandiose topic that literally goes from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible. So I could stand here for hours and give you scriptures and stories and references and people in the Bible, um, and we're actually going to go ahead and do that. It'll only take me four to five hours, and um, we'll have dinner brought in. It'll be fine. No, I'm just kidding. So I, the Lord really gave me, like, a few scriptures. There are so many. So the few that I'm going to cover today doesn't cover it all, okay? Okay. I really challenge you to go back to the word and do more research and and look up more about salvation after this if you have more questions. So the second definition of salvation that I didn't read earlier says this. Salvation is a deliverance from sin and its consequences and is believed by Christians to be brought about by faith in Christ. This is true. Salvation in Christ is what gives us our eternity in heaven with God the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But I have found, the more I talk to people in this day and age, in our world today, that most of us are so troubled by the struggles we're going with today dealing with today, that our eternity almost doesn't matter as much as today. So these promises of salvation of Christ, they cover us for eternity. The Bible will tell you that. But they also cover us on earth today, right now. Also, I think we should all have a note in our phone called Promises of My Salvation. So if you're taking notes... You want to make a list of those or you want to put a note section in your phone for that. I think it's good for us to, revert, to refer back to when the enemy causes us to doubt. Which, by the way, is exactly what he did with Eden, with Eve Sorry, in the Garden of Eden. He caused her to doubt the promises of God. And that is what led to the original sin that took place. When we doubt our salvation, it brings about anger and confusion, insecurity, comparison, lack of um, moral character, instances of doing things that we're not proud of, and mostly a lack of trust that our God can bring us out of something that we are dealing with, which is not how our lives should look if we're living out of our salvation. So, here are the promises. There's about six scriptures that I want to read to you. The first one is John 6, 37. It says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. This was one of the uh, verses that my Uncle Jerry mentioned in his book and I think is going to be a new favorite for me because it's Jesus himself saying that when you come to him, he won't turn you away. And that's huge. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, Now, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. This was a go-to verse for me after I thought I had lost my salvation. Because it says that I belong to Christ. And that because of that, the Holy Spirit has freed me and saved me from the power of sin. And through salvation, you have access to the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises this to us. This isn't going to be up here, but in John chapters 14 through 16, Jesus promises that God's Spirit will guide you and comfort you and help you throughout your life. The next scripture is 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10. In the message, it says this. God didn't set us up for an angry rejection, but for salvation by Jesus Christ. He died for us, a death that triggered life. Then Titus 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. So for all of us that at times think, I'm not doing good enough. Maybe I wasn't meant to be saved. Maybe, maybe Jesus didn't actually mean to call me. This is where we get proved wrong is this verse right here, because it says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. That's not just five of us in the world or whatever number you want to come up with. Cause again, numbers don't mean anything that keeps coming up today. Okay. So John one, 12 through 13 says, but to all who believed him and accepted him being Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, but a birth that comes from God. This rebirth through Christ that comes from God is our salvation. It is our life preserver. And what that rebirth through Christ means is that now you have access to the Holy Spirit. You have access to the Bible, to the messages of God, to how Jesus Christ lived when he was on earth. And this is our guidance for how we should then go about life. That rebirth is basically just a change, a transformation in your life to say, I'm turning away from my sins and I'm turning towards Jesus. And this is how I want to live moving forward. Romans 10 9 through 11 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. This verse is a perfect example talking about how you are saved. There's no, are you fully saved? Are you partially saved? That's not a thing. The Bible doesn't talk about that. And then another verse that I don't have down, but in Acts chapter 2, Peter talks to us about repenting from our sins and turning from our sins in order to receive our salvation. It all goes back to Jesus. Jesus is our salvation point. The word salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua. The name Jesus in Hebrew also Yeshua. The name of Jesus means salvation, to deliver or to rescue. Author Dave Adamson says this, English playwright William Shakespeare once famously asked, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. He says, Shakespeare's point was that you are, that who you are is more important than what you're called. But when it comes to Jesus, who he is matters just as much as his name. He continues by saying, So when Jesus went to the house of a tax collector named Zacchaeus, he said, Today salvation has come to this house. He was making a pun because salvation, Yeshua, came to Zacchaeus' house that day in the form of Jesus himself. Jesus is our point of salvation, our deliverer, our rescuer. So I've given you promises that tell you how to be saved. And I've given you promises that your salvation in Christ is solidified if you've already been saved. So let's go back to what in salvation, what in eternity, what's in it for me and what's in it for me today. I found an article about my Uncle Jerry and my Papa online, which was pretty cool. And um, I think it's actually an excerpt from um, my Uncle Jerry's autobiography. Um, But they took some information out of that to um, put in an obituary from a ministry that he used to be in. And it says this, Jerry was raised in a church and went forward a few times when an altar call was given but no one ever explained to him what it meant to genuinely be born again. On a visit home, Jerry's brother Jack, by that time an assistant pastor at the local church, invited Jerry to join him on a house visit. Jack talked to the man they visited about having assurance of his salvation. That night, Jerry lay awake in bed, finally admitting to himself that he really wasn't a Christian. And he prayed, Whatever it takes, Lord, I want Jesus to be my Savior. And immediately he had an assurance that he had never experienced before. It was a confidence that never left him. A God who rescues you from your troubles. A God who brings you peace, a God who brings reconciliation in your relationships, who helps you calm your anger and your anxiety, a God who helps you do and say the right things when you learn to listen to his nudgings from the Holy Spirit on when to be bold enough to open your mouth and speak or when to keep your mouth shut. These are the things that God helps you with. He has a life planned for you that as you go along his path, you avoid the 40-year detour that the Israelites took. A confidence in our salvation that should never leave us. That's what's in salvation. That's what's in it for you today if you've questioned your salvation in Jesus Christ I remind you that Jesus says he is the way, the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him have you done this? have you confessed this out loud to others? do you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior and desire to turn from your sins? if so, there's nothing else to question you are saved and have been made right with God And you'll never be turned away or disgraced, as Jesus says. Or have you never confessed that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you want to do that today? Are you ready to grab a hold of that life preserver and say, God, I want your spirit to fill me and guide me? Then you can do that today. If you'll all bow your heads together with me, And we're gonna pray this in our hearts. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I challenge you to pray this in your heart and mean it. And to think about what this is saying. Lord, please forgive me for all that I've done wrong and all of my sins. I desire to turn away from my sins and make you my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died on the cross and came back to life And I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill me and cleanse me and guide me for the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. Amen. If our prayer partners will go ahead and come forward, if you've just prayed this prayer of salvation and you've never done this before, I invite you to come forward and speak to one of our prayer partners. Let them know that you are asking Jesus to be in your heart. This is your time to confess with your mouth, as the scriptures say, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Or if you have anything else that you want to speak to our prayer partners about, you can do this, whether it's healing or a struggle that you're dealing with, whatever that looks like for you. And one final thing I want to share with you before I close our salvation covers our sins. And Jesus forgives them past, present, and future. Don't let your fears and doubts and sins or anything else keep you away from God. He is desiring to have a relationship with you. He's desiring for you to keep coming back to him. It's common that we sin and then we're too ashamed and we don't want to go into the church or we don't want to talk to our Christian friends or whatever it is. Don't let these things hinder you from coming back to God. God wants you here in his presence so he can continue to help you, work within you, build a relationship with you and so you can build a relationship with others in the church so that we can remind you that we're all not really great at being human and we're all going to keep trying together in our imperfect obedience. Lord, we thank you again for this day. We ask that you would plant these seeds in our hearts of the words that you've spoken to us and that your revelation would go out throughout the week as to what it is that you wanted us to hear. Lord, that whatever it is that you're changing and transforming in our hearts, that we would have the boldness to confess that with our mouth, Lord, as we proclaim that Jesus Christ is our Lord and salvation. We love you, Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray, amen. Will you stand with us as we continue to sing?